This is Pastor to Pastor, a podcast of InnoBTS and Level College. Pastor to Pastor is here to help you lay a biblical foundation for your ministry. Hello again, everyone. It's uh, good to have you back with us as we're uh, considering this idea of what is a pastor. I'm Adam Hughes, and I'm here again with Charlie Ray as uh, we look today at the very question, what is a pastor? We're considering the theology, if you will, of what is a pastor. Just to remind you of, of how we try, we've tried to approach uh, um, our, our process of going through and looking at the idea of biblical shepherding. So we start with this idea of exegesis, and we've looked at several passages of Scripture that have some specific ideas and applications for the definition, the description of a pastor. And then we move to theology and then to practice. So now we've moved, if you will, to our theology. And we want to pull out four tenets of what we've seen holistically from God, God's Word that helps us define biblically the idea of a pastor. So with that in mind, Charlie, just begin to share with us of how we can coalesce and bring together some of these thoughts that we've seen from God's Word. Yeah, so the first statement we have is that a, a pastor is a recognized under-shepherd of God's church. There's really a lot there. Um, I'll just pick out a few words that maybe we can talk about. The first word there would be recognized. What I mean when I say that is, is that the church recognizes who their pastors are, <laughs> and then the pastor obviously recognizes recognizes who am I pastoring. Uh, so, so a pastor is a recognized leader of a church. Uh, we saw that some in, in, in 1 Timothy 5. You see it in Hebrews 13. How do you know which leaders to follow? Well, these are your leaders, and this is the church that you're leading. And then a pastor is an under-shepherd of God's church. Uh, we, we've already seen, and some of what we've talked about is, is Christ being the chief shepherd, which is what 1 Peter 5 reminds us of. So in a sense, we are under-shepherds. We shepherd under the authority of Christ. Uh, we don't have an authority all of our own, uh, but it's a derived authority. And then we, we shepherd God's church. It's not our church, right? We use that language sometimes, this is my church, but ultimately it's God's church. Uh, Acts chapter 20 reminds us that Christ shed his blood for the church. Mm-hmm. This is the precious church of God. So really three important things, I think, in that one short statement, a recognized leader, an under-shepherd, and then one who is shepherding the church of God. And I know I'm jumping way ahead. We're going to get into this down the line. But part of what you're saying here then, I, I do think this says something about then what is a church, having to know what a church is, what membership is, and all of those things. So you know, uh, if I can say it this way, uh, who who you're, uh, as, your pa- as a pastor, who you're accountable to, but also the pastor knows who he's responsible for. Yeah. And so I think you're saying something there that's really important. I- I've said to a church before, if we, are, if we aren't clear about, I hate to say it this way, but who's in and who's out. Yeah. When I pastored in Albuquerque, greater Albuquerque area, a million people. I said, if we don't have some clarity, then essentially I'm responsible for all a million or I'm responsible for none. (laughs) And I said, so part of that is this idea of recognized under-shepherd. The other thing, I'm so glad that you brought this out. I I hope you never get tired, maybe you will, of my little little sayings and my whimsical ideas. I almost feel like they're Proverbs for Adam, which are not near as good. as Proverbs from God's Word, so we have to be careful here. But when you were talking about, I'm glad you brought up 1 Peter 5, 
we see this idea of being charged by the chief shepherd. Mm-hmm. And when I teach even preaching, pastoral ministry, I always try to bring that out to say, look, at the end of the day, we understand that we've been given a charge, but who we've been given a charge over aren't ours. They're mm-hmm. someone else's. And First Peter tells us he's coming back. Yeah. And so the idea is right now he's given me the charge, but he's going to expect that back one day. Yeah. And I always say it like this. I think he expects to receive them back and at least as good a shape as he gave them to me in, if if not probably better. And I, I use this picture. So my wife and I have four children. And rarely, here's the whimsical proverb, right? Uh, rarely do we get to go on a date. But when we do, right, we hire a babysitter. And what do we do with that babysitter? We give them charge over our children. But the idea is when we when we come back, we're gonna we want them back. And uh, and we want them back as it, in at least as good a shape as we dropped them. Like no one should go to the hospital if if, if we can. No one you know no one should have extra bruises or bl- bloody noses when we come back. And hopefully, I always say this is a joke. Here it is. We hope to get them back in better shape than we gave them. And what we mean by that is fed, bathed, and asleep. Yeah. If that happens when we come back, right? We're going to consider right. that a successful handing over of a charge. Yeah. But in all seriousness, I think when you say recognized. Under shepherd, there's a shepherd that's coming back. They're still his, and uh, and 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 the idea of 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 God's church because it's God's church. So we're, we we are his. reminded in Scripture, yeah, that the pastors will give an account for how they've shepherded, and that and that that's sort of an idea that cuts both ways, right? And so in First Peter five, you want to receive the unfading crown of glory. Right, that if you've pastored well, uh, that there is a reward for that. That when Christ comes back, our desire ought to be uh, not just a, a well done, good and faithful servant, but a reward for having shepherded well. Uh, but but then also in, in Hebrews thirteen, there's this idea of giving account. Well, we don't want to stand before Jesus and having having had squandered the the commission that He gave us, right? Having squandered the the mission that He called us to, and having uh, abused His sheep or not cared for His sheep. Uh, yeah, so it's a, it's a it's a sobering reality um, of the seriousness of the calling, uh, but then also it's a, it's a reminder of the of the reward that awaits those who who faithfully endure. So. Absolutely. Good word there. So, so I think, uh, again, first we start with this uh, idea of a recognized under-shepherd of God's church. The second thing that I would say is that a, a pastor is a man of proven godly character. There's a couple of things that we'll get into. I mean, I put the word man in there, uh, and of course that's uh, we'll talk more about the specifics there and, and why we would say that, but we do believe that uh, pastoral ministry is for, is for men in particular uh, to, to lead in the church, just as God has called them to lead in the home. So that's one part of that statement, then of proven godly character. And so you have to have demonstrated godly character uh, over the course of your life if you want to be put in charge of a church um, or in leadership of a church. Paul, Paul would say it this way to Timothy, right? You have to establish your leadership with your family, right, with your wife, that you have to have demonstrated that ability to lead even in your home before you can be entrusted to lead God's church. Yeah, and so we'll we'll get into this a little bit later. We're gonna we're gonna have a podcast on how do I know if I'm called, and and this will come up again. But I love what you're saying here. Uh, I, when I look at so we think of the two primary list of qualifications in the New Testament. We think of First Timothy three. We think of Titus chapter one. And I'm not saying certainly that's not all the pa- the, the, the the passages that speak to being a pastor. But those two primary is qualifications, if I can say it like that. And what's fascinating to me about this is I, I think arguably 
that in both of those lists, there may really only be one skill Mm -hmm. that's required. Everything else could arguably fall under the idea of character. And, and maybe there's one concept in both lists that I think you're getting to here that, that governs, if you will, all of the specifics. And it's this idea of being a, above reproach right. or unblameable. It right. doesn't mean sinless perfection, but it does mean that my life is such that in these areas, I've lived in such a way, I've demonstrated my life in such a way that I'm not blameable. No one can find reason to make accusation against me in these areas. And what I think about uh, now, now here's not what I'm saying. There's an old saying that uh, you know, preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. No, it's always necessary to use words. Right. But I do think there is something to be said about the man that takes up the charge of pastoring, his life matching the word and gospel that he teaches. And so your 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 life is is reflecting, and is saturated with this this consistency with the gospel. Yeah, I think another way to say that is is that a pastor's life must be imitatable. Yeah. Not sure if that's a real word or not, but... Just I, coined I, it here. We coined <laughs> it here. I remember distinctly as a teenager reading you know, things like Paul would say, follow me, imitate my pattern of living, these kinds of things. And as a teenager, I just remember distinctly thinking, man, that's so arrogant. That's just how it struck me at the time. And, and why was that? I don't know if it's because maybe I knew my life wasn't worthy of imitation at that point, so I just didn't understand how anybody could say that. And to be clear, the the, the pastor who goes around taunt, flaunting their their you know, hey, look at me, that's not what we're talking about. But what we are saying, I think, is that for someone to serve as a pastor, the church ought to be able to look at them and say, that person is following Jesus. I want to follow Jesus like they're following Jesus. Right. Now, to be clear, that includes repentance at times. Absolutely. Right? So, so I think sometimes we think that if we ever mess up, then we've just squandered our witness. Well, we're going to sin. We're going to fail. I mean, obviously, hopefully, <laughs> not in certain areas, right? But even when we fail as pastors, we have the opportunity to go to church members to ask forgiveness. That's leading to, right, and saying this is what it looks like when you stumble, right, you go and seek forgiveness. You go and seek reconciliation. Uh, obviously, that can even be a way that, that pastors are called to lead and encourage the church to follow. And I'll say what's really interesting, and maybe, again, this is getting into some of the practical side of it, but I, I don't mind admitting I have been in, there's one particular situation that comes to mind where I had to call a church meeting, and it wasn't some big moral failing. It was I lost my temper mm-hmm. in, in somewhat of a public situation around several of my deacons. And I really felt convicted because of, of of this very theological statement about what a pastor is, proven godly character. What made sense then was I had to call a church meeting on a Sunday night and confess my sin, ask for forgiveness of the whole body, and specifically of, of one or two men that I yeah. felt like I had fin- I, I had offended. Now, what's amazing by that, you would say, well, you might have lost a lot of credibility and a lot of trust. I actually would say it's the exact opposite. I actually think from doing that, what they said was exact. Not, I don't, I'm not saying this to pat myself on the back, but wow, that is the type of person. We want to follow Jesus like he follows Jesus. Now, had that happened every week, <laughs> right. you, you know, in other words, that's what I say all the time when I'm teaching even leadership and pastoral ministry. Look, it's not the end of the world. Sometimes it gains you credibility to handle a mistake the right way. Yeah. 
But if the mistakes continue to happen, the same one over and over, now we've got a, set, a separate issue. Yeah. But I think going through that process, Charlie, actually, actually did exactly what you said. It actually proved out more of godly character than tearing down right. from it as a pastor. I think sometimes we we get in this mentality of we have to fake perfection almost, right? And it's like if we just always act like everything's okay, then then that's going to be what a good pastor is going to be. And 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 this is probably another topic for another day, but I think sometimes that just leads into frustration and depression and all manner of kinds of things because we don't live up to that standard, right? We're trying to put off this everything's perfect in my life while underneath we know that's not true. And so I think there's a certain level of vulnerability there and I think that term above reproach which we keep coming back to doesn't mean perfect, but it does mean there's no one area where I can go to your life, Adam, and say, this disqualifies you from pastoral ministry. Absolutely. And there's certainly plenty of things that could, right? A pastor who's engrossed in pornography or an adulterous relationship, that's not above reproach. Right. Right? And so we, we are saying there's a there's a bit of vulnerability, even saying, follow me as I repent and seek reconciliation. I think that's a great example of how that can actually lead the church even more to say, that's the kind of guy I can follow because he's not faking it right. He's not pretending like everything's okay, but he's actually leading and wanting to make things right when he messes up. And I know we're about to move on here, but let me just say one other thing. You know, I I think you brought up something that's really good here from the standpoint of not not faking perfection. And then there's another side of that as, as well. There are some things that disqualify. Yeah. And I'll say I've had questions asked of me like this. And I think what you're saying here actually speaks to this when someone says, well, well, gosh, I hope, I hope this doesn't come across the wrong way in the podcast, but, but you know, how, how much looking at pornography, what's, yeah. what line is it that disqualifies me? And at that point, I think actually what you're saying here is you're asking the wrong question. Yeah. You're asking the wrong question. Because what we're talking about here is, like you said, there's not one area of your life that people can point to and make those accusations that 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 is a, is a is a cause for stumbling, cause for accusation, cause for falling yeah. there, and that you are blamable in that area. Yeah, yeah. So one of the other things to move on to now is uh, so, so we have t- two things again here that we've looked at. The third thing that I would say is a pastor teaches sound doctrine and refutes false teaching. We've touched on this as we've gone through different passages of Scripture. Um, And again, hopefully people are seeing that what we're saying is coming out of the text that we looked at already, right? This isn't new information, uh, but we're just sort of synthesizing what we've seen in different passages of Scripture to this point, that one of the major things that a pastor does is to teach sound doctrine, uh, to teach what's right, and then to refute false teaching. Uh, and, and so, again, we've talked some before about how, you know, what is it that I'm supposed to give my time to doing? Well, this is a large part of what the time of a pastor should be devoted to. Absolutely. And, you know, before I made this statement, and and I, I, I think I want to hold to it, and I think it's absolutely a biblical perspective to hold to, that when you look at those two qualification lists, 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1, that it could be argued that really in both lists there's only one skill, if you will, required, and everything else has to do with character or conduct. And interesting enough, if I'm right about that, the skill is actually 
mentioned in both places. It's mentioned slightly different, but it's mentioned in both places, right? So in 1 Timothy 3, apt to teach, able to teach. And then you have that referenced in verse 8, specifically 9 mm-hmm. of 1 Titus chapter 1, where it talks about this idea of knowing, holding to uh, faithful word right. so that they're able to uh, teach sound doctrine and refute those who contradict it. Right. And so there's where we're getting specifically what we're talking about here. That may be, again, the only skill that's required. I'm cautious how I'm saying that, yeah. but the only skill that's required of pastor, but it's affirmed in both in both places. Yeah. Now, what's interesting for me here is I love that the fact that you said, look, teaching sound doctrine, refuting those who contradict it. Uh, I, I think even faithful pastors sometimes, we can fall into the desire to do the first of those. Yeah. We we like the idea of going, I love the teaching ministry of the church. That I, I find joy and value in that. And so right every week, we are regularly finding ourselves preparing a message, standing up, and teaching God's Word to the gathered to the church. Perhaps the one that we struggle with or we don't like as much because it's not as much fun yeah. is the other side of it. But what what would you say to that? And and I, I'm not I don't want to I'm not trying to ask you a leading question. For me, I think Titus is actually telling us there are two sides of the same coin. Yeah. Well, so I think on the on the other side of that, you will find some people who love the rebuke side, and that's actually all they want to do, and that can be a problem in and of itself. We'll get into what is preaching later on. That's probably the next question that we'll sort of try to to, to give an overall answer to. But, but one of the ways I like to talk about this is if we look at 2 Timothy 3.16, we find that Paul tells Timothy that God's Word, that the Scriptures are useful for teaching, uh, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So in other words, God's Word is useful to teach us how to live, to teach us how not to live, <laughs> right? To, 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 to tell us what's right and to tell us what's wrong. And, and so a pastor is called to faithfully do both of those things, to use God's Word for its intended purpose, right, which is to uh, encourage in, in the right path and to discourage people from going down the wrong path. And so I, I think that's a tension that we walk uh, a lot of times as pastors. We are called to warn people, right? There, there are, if you look at some of the, the passages on pastoral ministry in particular, uh, lots of New Testament texts dealing with false teachers in the church and guarding the church against false teaching and wolves that would seek to come in and amidst the flock and destroy the church. But in 1 Timothy 1 and, and Titus and, and different parts of, of Scripture, they're coming up from in the midst of the own church. And so I think a pastor has a very serious responsibility both to devote themselves to teaching what's right but also refuting what's wrong and making sure uh, that their church members know when they encounter false teaching, no, that's not according to God's Word, uh, guarding them against walking down those destructive paths. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and specifically, uh, and this is not the only place, but specifically the Titus 1 passage in verse 10, he goes on to begin to give explanation yeah. for why he's saying that in right. that particular context. Right. And, and maybe it's true to say, in some ways, there's value. Our people have never had as much as much uh, access to the Bible, uh, biblical teaching, and 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 sermons and everything at the touch of their fingertips that they've ever had. Yeah. But at the same time, perhaps wolves have never had as much access right. to our to our flock Absolutely. as they do right now as well. Absolutely. And I'm, th- there's always been wolves, right? But but just the the the, the ease that they can get to our people now. It's it's unbelievable. My father-in-law used to say this, Charlie. He would say, uh, "Look, what's amazing is uh, it takes it takes four times as long 
to undo one bad sermon, mm-hmm. and by bad sermon he's meaning wrong teaching, right. uh, than it is than it does to actually drive the point home of a of right doctrine or right teaching. He said, "Look, if they hear something bad, it sticks in their mind for a month, and you can't get it out." You show them even the Bible says it, and sometimes it's just almost like it's there. Yeah. It's just it can be it can be kind of unbelievable what people hear and then hold on to. And I think right now, just just the access that people have, and not everything that they have access to is actually biblical truth. Well, and they need to be ready to see what's good and what's not. You, you'll see a lot of surveys on biblical literacy in our culture today, in the church today, and some of those surveys are pretty discouraging about how much people actually know the Bible. And look, we live in a world where people can listen to the Bible on their phones and read it wherever they want. That's really kind of a modern privilege that people can sit down and read the Bible for themselves. And so we can kind of take for granted that pastors actually have a responsibility. If the church doesn't know the Bible, I mean, yes, people can study on their own, but if the church doesn't know the scriptures, then a lot of that that fault needs to be laid at the feet of the pastors, right? Because pastors have a responsibility for teaching sound doctrine, for ensuring that the church knows God's word and is and is faithfully ready to live out God's word in their own context. And I think you're making a good point here, and I know we'll get into this later. Like, how do you how do you spot as a shepherd? Yeah. How do I how do I spot a false teacher, right. a false shepherd? But what you're saying is part of when we talk about discipline, when we talk about discipleship, right? Which which we talk about discipleship, it's it's got this root concept of discipline. And so there's a sense in which even as a parent, there's two sides to discipline. There's formative right. discipline, there's corrective That's discipline. Right. So what you're talking there's both sides of it here with the teaching of the word, but it, it's hard to do the corrective discipline right if you've not done the formative right. discipline right. That's How right. do I get on my son for running out in the street if I've not taught him to not run out in the right. street? Exactly. And so what you're saying here, I think, applies to look. Yes, as a shepherd, you need to need to know how to recognize false shepherds. But hopefully we're teaching our people the word well enough to where they get to the point where they also have some skill to recognize and stay away from right. the exactly. false shepherd. Exactly. Well, let, let's close with one other idea and just kind of wrapping up our definition of what is a pastor, this answer to this question. The last thing um, is that a pastor leads and protects God's people. I think we've already touched on a lot. Uh, really, these last two things go together, and I think that's kind of why <laughs> we've already seen that we've addressed a lot of these issues already, because how does a pastor lead and how does a pastor protect? We're both making the argument that a large part of that is done through how they live and through how they preach and teach God's Word. And so uh, we are making the, the, the implicit claim that leadership matters in a church. We live in a culture that would kind of want to say, you know, kind of anti-authoritarian, right? And, and while we very want, clearly want to say a pastor isn't a dictator, right? We'll go to 1 Peter 5 to talk about how a pastor should lead. Just because pastors can lead wrongly doesn't mean that a pastor isn't supposed to lead, that he isn't supposed to protect. You mentioned Titus earlier. I would argue, even to elaborate on your point, that part of the argument that Paul is making in Titus is that pastors are necessary in order to protect the church against false teachers, right? That if you want to guard against false teachers, you need faithful pastors. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, again, the context of Titus being on Crete kind of bears that out and what some 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 of the things that Paul points out that's going on there. And I, I, I left you there to, to set in order what remains that's right. and to appoint elders 
in every city. And then later again, at the end of chapter one, you begin to see some things that are true of, of Crete and, and Cretans. And that's not a that's not a derogatory statement. That was just the, the the environment they found themselves in. So pastors were absolutely necessary there to protect the flock in all of those areas. That's right. And 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 again, I think that point you bring out that Titus needed to set right what had been left undone. Right. Right. That there was something lacking in the church, which is faithful leaders who would help protect the church against the false teachers which were so prevalent uh, in the church there at Crete. So so we hope this this definition has been helpful to you. I hope you see a couple of things. I hope that you see uh, how this definition of what is a pastor has clearly come from the passages of Scripture that we've talked about earlier. And so as we begin the transition into some uh, some practice issues, some very specific questions, uh, what we want to be seeing now is that our answers to those questions are very much going to come back to this definition of what is a pastor, which goes back to our exegesis, to our understanding of what God's Word says about these issues. So uh, hopefully as we as we transition into those practice issues, uh, we'll look at some very specific issues and we'll see how this definition of a pastor matters and helps us answer some of those questions on a day-to-day basis. Well, Charlie, thank you so much for your wisdom on this and leading us through this time, and we'll see everyone next time. Thanks for listening. For more resources on pastoral ministry, visit us at faithfulpastor.com. And to learn more about training to become a pastor, visit us at nobts.edu.